Good morning. Greetings in the precious name of Jesus. Thankful to be here today. Share this service together. And welcome to one and all. Welcome to our guests this morning and all you who are faithfully regulars here. Perhaps we could just take a moment and stand together, commit our time to the Lord in prayer, if you're able. Heavenly Father, we come in Jesus' name Again, thankful for this opportunity to gather this way. Thankful for your presence with us, your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the things that have been taught here already as we ponder Scripture and Scriptural truths for our lives. Thank you that we have it readily available to us. The word of God is in our hands and in our hearts. And thank you that we have freedom to gather this way and are undisturbed by those in authority and governments and even the unbelieving uh, around us. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your work of grace in each of our hearts that we even have a desire to be here in a place like this where the word of God is preached, where we allow our hearts to be challenged and changed from the from what we learn in, in your word, Father, and in our journey with you. So today again, bless us, pour out your spirit upon us, Give clarity of thought, Father, as I share from the scriptures again this morning. And may your spirit be here with us, Father, we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. (coughs) You may remember, those of you who were here the last time I preached, You may remember that I preached a message on the responsibility of a deacon. Now, there were several reasons I gave that message, and one of them was because we are considering and praying about that for us here in this congregation, but I've also been asked to teach on the subject in... in, uh, Ontario, there, the little congregation in Leamington. Well, it was Leamington. I always forget. They moved to another town. Now they use that, I think they use that town name for their church name now. But uh, they asked me to uh, teach on both the responsibility of a deacon, the responsibility of an elder, and also then the congregation's response to their leadership uh, team. And so that assignment is coming up in December. And uh, when I go somewhere to preach, 
I often like to have either my messages prepared ahead of time or else even have preached them ahead of time. Uh, there's benefits. For one thing, when I go somewhere, I don't usually have much time to study because uh, there's fellowship happening. And So this morning, I am going to preach a message on the responsibility of an elder. And I searched through my message archives, at least the ones that are on my computer, and tried to see when I at last preached a message like that, only to discover I couldn't find any. So I'm not sure if I ever did or not. I know I did in piecemeal, at least in, uh, you know, bits and pieces of it in ordinations and things like that. But whether I actually ever dedicated a message to the responsibility that an elder has in the congregation, I can't really say that I did for certain. Um, I do have some notes that are that are uh, handwritten. I didn't comb through all of those. But anyhow, here we are this morning, and we will take some time and look at this subject. <clears throat> And we will begin in Acts chapter 14. Look at a few scriptures in Acts. First of all, (coughs) and the first, uh, just by introducing the subject, I'm looking at... um, just looking at a few scriptures where the uh, the calling or the office or the uh, duty or yeah the the office of an elder is identified <clears throat> so acts 14 verse 21 to 23 this is paul and barnabas on a missionary journey And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. And it almost seems like uh, in this particular situation, uh, they were, and if we were to look at earlier chapter, earlier in the chapter and also chapter 13, we would uh, follow them on their journey some and some of the events that happened. And then here, it appears like they... Uh, returned again, you know, they went back to Lystra and then to Iconium and to Antioch, uh, confirming the souls, places where they had already been, had taught the gospel, had preached, people believed, and now they're going back. And it seems like part of their, uh, part of what they were doing on their way back was ordaining elders in the church, in the churches as they went. And, uh, I don't know. I didn't take the time to search out the time frame 
and how yeah, you know how long it was from the time they actually preached there in a church was planted till they made their round and came back through and then ordained elders. But uh, probably a little bit of time elapsed there and and some uh, depth and some maturity was able to develop in the little churches to some point and they were able to ordain elders. <clears throat> and then, so there we have a clear that um, the the office the the responsibility that an elder uh, there there that office is clearly identified there and in uh, in acts 15 very next chapter we actually see uh, the elders uh, hard at work I guess I'll say uh, so in acts 15 we have the situation where uh, there were brethren from Judea that came and taught that uh, in order to be saved, they have to be circumcised after the manner of Moses. And in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas got into a, into a uh, argument. <laughs> I'll use that word. They had no small dissension and disputation with them. They, Paul and Barnabas dug in their heels against that teaching and philosophy and... Uh, and so anyhow, it was then determined that uh, Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about the question. And we see all the way down through there, that chapter in uh, verse 4, it says, And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. Uh, verse 6, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider the matter. Uh, jumping all the way over to verse 22, then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And then in verse 23, and they wrote letters at, by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren sent greetings. So I simply read all of that just to identify the elders. The, 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 it was a well-established Office in the church, um, we see him at work there. We may refer to that a bit later. Um, yeah, they uh, clearly, clearly part of the New Testament church. Uh, Titus one, we see more. Regarding an elder and elders. In chapter 1, verse 4, Paul writing here to Titus, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, or we would say could say lacking and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. <clears throat> so in this case, Titus was left behind as Paul journeyed on and Titus had a specific assignment. And uh, in, in particularly in this church here at Crete that he would set in order things that were lacking. He would take care of some things in the church that were still lacking Probably uh, 
a young church and not understanding many, perhaps many of kingdom truths and disciple uh, of Jesus uh, truths. And they were lacking elders. They were lacking leadership in the church. And so we have that uh, uh, Titus was left there to take care of that and see to it that it happens, that there's elders uh, assigned, called forth in the churches in every city. In Acts chapter 20, going back to Acts again, Acts 20, verse 17. And Paul here is on a journey. And uh, he's wanting to catch up to as many people as he can. And from in verse 17, and from Maltus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So he was in a, in a town apparently not too far from Ephesus. And he sent and asked for the elders of the church to come to him. And when they were, yeah, they came to him then, and then dropping down to verse 26, Paul, in addressing those elders, says, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. That's quite a statement to make, isn't it? As he speaks to those elders, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You know, I, I hope I can say that at the end of my life. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And I ju- I'll stop there for now uh, and just want us to notice again, uh, he called for the elders to come and then he addresses them and he says this, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And so we we do see there that uh, the matter of elders in the church were not any man's idea. They are God's idea. It is God's plan. It is God's way of working in... Uh, this age in the New Testament church. He has uh, put this office in place and the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. So, and I know, I, I trust I'm convinced, I trust that we're, we don't need convincing in that, that we believe that, that God does uh, work uh, in that way and desires to work in that way. And I, I, I think one of the, uh, one of the, uh, a big challenge that we face in our day and in our time, and they probably did in, in every, uh, all the way down through church history, and that is that 
the the office of an elder is uh, not all who walk in that office always walk in it uh, with integrity. And we are, we understand that. We know that that is true. And so there is the, the 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 stumbling block that comes there. Then is that of as the whole matter that as soon as uh, I fall into a disagreement with my uh, those who God has appointed in places of leadership, that we can somehow begin to excuse ourselves in that disagreement because after all they're not perfect and they're not seeing this matter right. And uh, and the bottom line is, elders are not perfect, but I do do want to, by the grace of God, try to lift up the responsibility, not from the standpoint of our human understanding and reasoning, but from the standpoint of God. And that God is, in fact, the one who decided that this is the way he would like it to be, and this is the platform from which he would like to work in the church and in the uh, the church age and time and so and i would encourage us in that as well as we consider uh what the scripture has to say that we would uh we would perceive it and re- and 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 process it not from the standpoint of humans and human failures they are going to be a part of your experience but from the standpoint of a of a living God, who makes who is perfect in all that He does and makes absolutely no mistakes in anything that He does. And so this morning, as we consider a few things here, I encourage us in that kind of a heart. We will not exhaust the subject today. Uh, there is. Probably a lot more that could be said after I'm finished. But um, we will look at a few points as we think about the responsibility that an elder has in, a, in the congregation. The first one we find right here in this uh, Acts 20, verse 28, uh, the latter part of the verse there. I'll just read the whole verse again. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now that puts it in a very sobering context to, uh, as, a, as an overseer obviously and the responsibility that is given uh, that it is uh, the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. That is not a little task. That is not a little assignment. But we'd like to consider this morning, feed the church of God. Feed the church of God, just the way it says it there, to feed the church of God. Peter says the same thing in uh, 1 Peter 5, 2, where he says that we're to feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, and not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So Peter says it the same way. Paul and Peter both say it the same way. Feed the church of God. Feed the flock of God. Uh, 
and which reminded me of, of Paul's exhortation to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 2, when he says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. And there's more to that, but uh, I'm going to just highlight that for this context. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Feed the flock. Feed is the idea of a shepherd providing, uh, uh, caring for his flock, taking his flock to pasture is really the picture. A shepherd taking his flock to pasture. And so to feed them is would be give us the idea that we need to provide grazing for them. We need to provide food for them. We need to, and you know, really, isn't it that way? You know, a message is preached, you know, you we take the word of God, we try to open it up in such a way that it can be understood by all and even try to make sure that we open uh, and speak in, in a language that even the children can glean little bits of truth as uh, uh, week by week and, and month by month and year by year. And so we, and different people, you know, it's a reality that as you all sit here and you all listen to the message, you everyone, uh, you know, different parts of it speak to different people. And that's, that's, that's grazing, you know, you're out there a bunch of sheep and this whole, here's the grass, it's being put out there and you're grazing and this part is good to you and this part is good to you and, and we get a picture of a, a bunch of sheep just out there grazing, just, uh, uh, yeah, so if you never saw yourself as a sheep grazing, why, today's your chance. Um, but that's the idea, uh, to provide spiritual food, to put it out there where you can partake of it where you can receive it where you can where it can be a a help to you and a nurturing to you and a blessing to you feed the flock of god you know when uh, and i don't believe i have that reference here i'm not sh- don't think i have it anywhere later in the message either but when jesus addresses peter and asks him whether he loves him and then for th- uh, three different times, and and he tells Peter, "Feed my sheep." Uh, same idea, feed my sheep. So an elder has a responsibility to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, teach the word, and to do it in such a way that that it's understandable and and uh, and you can grasp it as a as an audience can grasp it, and it and it. There's something there for everyone. It speaks to us. Um, and like I said, even on a level that younger children can understand it. It's a responsibility to speak from the scriptures into real life issues, which life has issues, doesn't it? Life uh, rolls along and, and life is quite different today than it was a hundred years ago or 500 years ago or back when when the uh, apostles were trotting the globe. Uh, it's quite different. And, and while the bottom line issues of mankind are not different, we're, we're dealing with different opportunities and, and different, uh, uh, different age and, and all those kind of things. <clears throat> and so, as elders, we have obligation to 
speak the word of God as it pertains to our day and the, and current events and current situations that we might be facing in, in the congregation and, and bringing the scripture to bear upon those events and, uh, and allowing our hearts to grapple with truth in the midst of life's realities and, and that's, that's feeding the church, feeding the church of God. Uh, we'll look at some things maybe a little more in depth as we go. But just wanted to highlight that as a point. Feed the church of God. An elder has that responsibility. And I don't think he particularly needs to do all the preaching and teaching. And we know that. We, we, we believe that here. Uh, but he does need to be certain that what is being preached and taught is scriptural. And that it is happening. <laughs> you know, that there is uh, food being provided for the sheep. That there is, the word of God is being preached. <clears throat> In fact, I, uh, our brother shared the devotional this morning. Carries no title among us other than a dear faithful brother. But gave a devotional that I felt very well laid a platform and a groundwork for the things that I'm sharing here when he talked about uh, taking the mind of Christ and and esteeming others and, and having, you know, being careful about our own pride and all those kind of things and lifting ourselves above others. Excellent platform. All right, so... First responsibility to feed the church of God. The second one I'd like to look at is that of laboring in the word and in doctrine. And here we go back to Acts chapter 6 where the uh, apostles had something to say as they were faced with needs of the church. In Acts chapter 6 verse 1 to 4. Maybe we'll just read that. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians among the, against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the apostles unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so there, uh, in this situation, you know, like I said last time, as, as the church... The new young church was birthed and was begin growing and... And needs manifested themselves, and so something needed to be done. And here are the apostles, uh, concerned with uh, and and focused on preaching and and evangelizing and 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 uh, the spiritual, uh, scriptural uh, care of the church and and the growing church. And they say, you know what? Here is a problem that. If we focus on it, it's going to take us away from the studying of the Word of God, from the preaching and so on, and from prayer. But there's plenty of other men in the church. We can call forth other men, and they can take care of that, that responsibility while we continue 
studying and teaching and preaching and all those kind of things that they were engaging in. <clears throat> so, uh, responsibility of the elder is to labor in the word and doctrine. In First Timothy, going to Timothy now, First Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy 5.17, just taking this verse out of, uh, as it's given here, let the elders that rule be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. And I, I read it for the latter part of the verse, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Gives us the, uh, again, the, clarifies the task, the responsibility, laboring in the word and doctrine. <clears throat> And then just uh, paging over to, f- no, just just going back, uh, going up, uh, let's see, First Cor- uh, yeah, First, Cor- First Timothy 4, 13 and 16. Paul, speaking to Timothy, says this in verse 13, To I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And then in verse 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continuing them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Again, just looking at some of the uh, scriptures that speak of uh, the responsibility of, uh, of the word and doctrine. Already quoted part of Second Timothy four verse two, but it says this: Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering or patience and doctrine. Re, uh, reproving and exhorting, and uh, with patience and doctrine. In Titus chapter 2 verse 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So, enough of verses, I think, to convince us of the responsibility. Um, what is doctrine? To labor in the word and doctrine. What is doctrine? Uh, in short, it's what is taught and believed and understood to be truth. Uh, yeah, it's it's basically. Uh, let Let's turn to Titus two. Uh, I'll show you just a little bit of just uh, a few quick scriptural uh, examples. So. Titus 2 verse 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And then he goes on down the list and gives various things. So, uh, first one he addresses is aged men. And he tells us some things about aged men. That what he is presenting there is doctrine. It's what we believe about the, the responsibility of men, a New Testament Christian man. That's doctrine. Uh, he goes on and talks about the aged women. Here's what we believe about the aged women in the New Testament church. Uh, here's uh, here's the, the doctrine that relates to them. The teaching, in other words. It's what 
uh, we uh, believe and understand to be the truth about the responsibility of an aged man, the responsibility of an aged woman. And it, and it addresses the uh, young women and gives us some context of what is considered to be uh, truth regarding young women and young men, likewise, <laughs> exhort to be sober-minded. And goes on and talks about servants, uh, talks about various truths down through there. Um, so that's, that's uh, laboring in the word and doctrine. What we believe about every issue of life, really, uh, as it relates to uh, God and uh, our faith. That's our doctrine, what we believe. And I trust that we are here today and believe that uh, the, the, the truth of the word of God has an application to every aspect of our life. That there's not one little slot or sliver of life that we can separate from the uh, responsibility and accountability to the Word of God. I, I hope we believe that. Uh, doctrine of uh, uh, the, the, what we believe and understand to be truth affects every area of our life. Uh, it affects, uh, it's what we believe and understand to be true about God about Jesus Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about mankind, about sin, about salvation, about sanctification, about holiness of life, about relating to the world as uh, to the ungodly world around us as believers, about turning the other cheek, about returning good for evil, about going the second mile, about the church, what we believe about the church, its structures, its responsibility, its how gifts are to function in the church, how the church should respond when there's sin in a in a in a member, how the church should respond when a, when there's repentance. Just you know, we we could we could list, we could have a board up here and just list. Subject after subject after subject after subject. And the Bible has something to say to every one of those subjects. And what we believe to be true from the word of God about any given subject is the doctrine. It's the doctrine that that elders need to be jealous about. In understanding and teaching sound doctrine, teaching correct doctrine, being sure that as uh, believers in Jesus Christ, we are understanding truth correctly. And that we are, uh, yeah, that we're understanding truth correctly. <clears throat> and so we could, uh, we could, and I'm just going to, Put a circle here and just uh, put to say doctrine because I'm not going to write out all those things that I that I uh, mentioned there. So we'll just put doctrine in there. I think my spell checker made that right. Anyhow, uh, so there's 
you know, yeah, doctrine, in the word and doctrine, um, if we are Bible-believing, a Bible-believing Christian, then doctrine affects every aspect of our life. The truth, the word of God and truth has an effect on every area of our life in some way or another. <clears throat> And elders have a responsibility to be certain that what is taught and believed is a, is sound according to the word of God. Now, uh, I appreciate the example that we looked at there in Acts 15, uh, where there was a, a teaching coming up that uh, there needed to be, in order to be saved, they needed to be circumcised. And this was a Jewish uh, tag along, you know, the Jewish uh, people. It was a it was a challenge to let go of their old tenets of faith that used to be the, that they used to contend for and to embrace the new in Jesus Christ, and it was incredibly tempting to bring to drag along things from the old faith. And circumcision was one here, and the church had to come up with a sound uh, biblical uh, answer to the question, and the elders got together and they had their discussions. And it's according to that chapter, it seems like the discussions got fairly lively at, at times. And uh, eventually they came down to where everyone agreed. Praise God, brother. They were in one heart and one mind. They agreed and uh, came together and sent out, uh, even sent men along. So we have that example in that um uh, yeah, and it is, I believe, it is a good thing when elders of a church relate closely enough to elders of other churches that there is a measure of accountability that uh, reciprocates back and forth on the level of elders as it did here in the book of Acts. Uh, we, as individual people, need that, uh, and as individual elders need that. Uh, it would be nice to think that we could figure it all out ourselves, and but uh, reality is, I think we do well when we have that kind of a working relationship for our own good as elders. <clears throat> but, like we said. The responsibility of the elder is to labor in the word and doctrine and to be certain that what is understood and taught is according to the scripture. <clears throat> now, moving along here, the scripture also tells us, and we saw it first there in Acts 20, and I'm not there at the moment, but... Uh, it tells us that elders are responsible to take and to give oversight. <clears throat> Acts twenty twenty eight. Take, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. So we have it there. Let's also go to First Peter. You can turn there. First Peter five. We have Peter's perspective. 
First Peter 5, verses 1 to 3. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And then he gives some instruction. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, not because you're forced to, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not for any kind of gain, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And he goes on and has a few more things to say. Um, Let me just make a note here on my notes for later. So, oversight. uh, Taking the oversight thereof. What does that mean? Taking the oversight. One of the dictionaries that I looked into gave this definition. An overseer is a man charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others are done rightly. (laughs) A man given the responsibility to oversee that things being done by others are done rightly. Um, a, a guardian or a superintendent is some of the what the word means. So, oversight, <clears throat> I guess we could say that uh, oversight is seeing that the things that we believe Like we said, this encapsulates that whole vast package of belief about every area of life from the Word of God. Oversight is is seeing that in the context of everyday living, we are actually exercising and living out the reality of what we believe. That what we believe and what we're living is to a measure... Uh, matching up, overseeing. Second uh, uh, Timothy, again, some of these verses we go back to them repeatedly because they they contain a lot. Second Timothy four verse two: Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And there we have the word long suffering, which is patience. And there we have the the words reprove, rebuke, exhort. And I didn't take the time to give definition uh, to any of those words, but we have a basic understanding of them. I trust, you know, reprove, rebuke, exhort. uh, To some measure, some of them have a little bit of correction. Some of them have encouragement. Uh, There's there's quite a bit going there. But uh, that's that's kind of what, so we have real life down here. Everyday life, uh, we'll just put an L there for life. And we have the in-between here where the elder is to, uh, is to exhort, is to, uh, that don't look right. Let's do it this way. Am I using the right side of this thing? Uh, there we go. Maybe that's right. 
Anyway, the, the elder is here uh, endeavoring to uh, to rebuke, exhort, encourage, admonish, you know, any word you can think about in, in, in uh, living out the reality of what we, what we believe about any given subject what you might face next week or what you might face in a month, you know. Uh, how does the Bible apply to this situation? What should we, you know, how do we look at this? Um, that's the picture that we get with with patience. And, and I want to highlight that. Uh, from a standpoint of an elder, uh, in doing the work of God and, and, and being that shepherd, uh, Patience, he must be patient. An elder must be patient. Uh, God is patient with us, and an elder must be patient as, as people try to uh, grapple with uh, the truth and apply it to everyday living. <clears throat> we have the I'm going to First Thessalonians, just to pick up a scripture there. First Thessalonians two. Verse eleven and verse twelve. As ye know how we exhort exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. And there we have the picture uh, of, a, of a shepherd who is overseeing. He, is, he's, he says, I, uh, you know how we exhorted, comforted, and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that ye would walk worthy of God and of his kingdom. So he's, he's positioning himself to uh encourage and bless and nurture and re- and correct and whatever else is needed in this journey uh to any given individual or the body as a whole uh to provide that so that the actual walk down here is uh coinciding with the belief which in turn will you know like he says here uh, should be walking worthy of God. If we are believing the right things and living the right things, we will be walking worthy of God and His kingdom. And in Second First uh, Thessalonians five, verse fourteen and fifteen, he says this: Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And again, just a a glimpse into the responsibility of oversight, overseeing. Uh, and, and, And he says that now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Uh... 
one time I preached a message on that word unruly, and it simply means those that are marching out of rank. Warn those that are marching out of rank. They're not marching according to the the truth in a given area. They've decided to march off to the side to something different than what we know is biblically true about that situation. They're marching out of rank. Warn them. Um, Comfort the feeble-minded. There's always those that need encouragement. Support the weak. We know that. We know not everyone's at the same place. There are those that need encouragement. And that's part of oversight. Giving Giving what is needed, where needed, when needed. Whether it's an exhortation, whether it's a correction, whether it's a reproof, whether it's a rebuke, whether it's a uh, an encouragement, whatever it is. Giving what is needed, where is needed, when it's needed. <clears throat> That's giving oversight. There's... There's a lot of scripture that we could look at uh, regarding these, uh, this very thing. And I'd like to take us to the book of Galatians just for a brief uh, glimpse there. In, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, we have, uh, we have Paul... And in this case, it was one elder uh, reproving another elder. We have Paul addressing Peter. He says in verse 11 of chapter 2, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to blame. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew himself and separated himself fearing them which were of the circumcision. So, the picture is this, children, (laughs) little children. The picture is this. So, Peter goes to a town of Gentile people. Peter is of Jewish heritage, but Peter is now a Christian, and in the kingdom of God, there's no difference between a Jew and a Gentile. But in the Old Testament, there was a huge difference. And so, that is one of the things that is hard to change uh, in a in a in a person, and Peter is there with the Gentiles, and they're eating together, and they're having fellowship together. They're believers together, and then here come more Jews. Says so they came from James. They were they were Jews. They were they were people of Peter's uh, background, where Peter came from, and suddenly Peter backed away from the Jews, or from the Gentiles. Thank you, brother. And and uh, separated himself and made a, a distinction between the Gentiles and the Jews and and Paul Paul uh, Paul confronted him said this isn't right what you're doing isn't right and I'm putting some of that in my own words here but uh, there's an example of of uh, overseeing there was a problem developed and Paul. Addressed the problem. That's an example of overseeing. The uh, 
the book of Galatians is actually written to address a problem. Uh, a, a problem in the church. And we'll look at just a few things there. We look at, if we look at Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, uh, Paul says this, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So the the, the church, uh, the Galatian believers, they again, they were Jewish in, uh, in their uh, background, and they were... They were, uh, they were, uh, they were getting off the road. They were, they were getting into, they were mixing their old Jewish faith with the new, new, uh, faith in Jesus Christ and trying to mix the two together, putting it in words that we understand. <clears throat> and Paul had issue with that. And he called it another gospel, not the true gospel. And then in Galatians chapter 3, Verse 1, and I'm just picking up some of the places where Paul really hammers it uh, a bit or makes some pretty bold statements, or not bold, but kind of have a punchline. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? And uh, he's challenging them on what they're believing. They've been... Uh, mixing the works of their old law in with faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul is seeking to bring correction. He is overseeing that church and seeking to bring correction. He's providing oversight and endeavoring to correct the error that is there. Uh, chapter 4, verse 21, he says this, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? And then he goes on and gives a, a discourse about the law and, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, yeah how how he, he he explains to them how that the law is basically trying to show them how the law is finished and that uh, the new uh, Messiah has come. All right, um, so that that was a situation where Paul was exercising oversight bringing correction to the, the church and their beliefs. And, and their beliefs, no doubt, led to practices as well. First uh, Corinthians would be a, a church that we could go to the other side of the coin. The, first, uh, the Corinthians were Gentile believers for the most part. And they were... They were uh, a lawless people who were trying to learn how to walk with God and how to walk in in uh, in a new life with new guidance and new uh, purpose and all those kind of things and and there was quite a few things that Paul addresses in their situation he addresses division in their book, in the in the early part of the book, they they had a case of where they were claiming that I'm of him and I'm of him. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I believed under Paulus's preaching. I believed under Paul's preaching. Uh, Paul's the great guy, and Paul or Paulus is the great guy. And they had divisions among them. And he rebukes them. He addresses that. Uh, 
He addresses a case of sin in chapter is it five or six? We'll go back to that and look at that then. Chapter five. He addresses a, a headship order, the order of 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 God and Christ and and man and woman and so on down the line. Uh, he addresses spiritual gifts. They were misusing and abusing spiritual gifts. He brings correction and exhortation to them there. Uh, he addresses a lot of things in their uh, situation. Uh, and let's just look very briefly at the at First Corinthians chapter five. We'll see that uh, they had a problem of sin among them. Fornication, and as it says here, that uh, something that the Gentiles, uh, uh, fornication of a nature that the Gentiles wouldn't even do, says Paul. And then he says in verse 2, And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now here, it's very evident, it seems quite evident, that they didn't yet understand truth. And if they did, they were overlooking it. But they obviously didn't, they, they, they weren't living like they understood truth about that kind of a situation. They were living very differently. In fact, they were being boastful about it. It seems like, it seems like they were uh, viewing the grace of God as a license. I'm going to say uh, a license that to sin in that, you know, we're under the grace of God. Uh, we're forgiven by the blood of Christ. And so this sin is no big deal. Somehow they had a philosophy that was wrong. They did not understand the truth about this matter. And they were proud of the fact that they had sin among them. And I guess they were proud of the fact that the grace of God covers this sin, apparently. But... Paul had a correction for them. That's not the case. The grace of God is not a license to sin. And he uh, he exhorted them very much about how to deal with this situation among them. And that if this person is living in sin, they actually need to put him away uh, from them. And, if, and, uh, and then uh, we, we don't have, I'm not going to read, the whole discourse here, but we know when we go on to the second letter then, we know that the person, the church responded and they uh, uh, responded biblically to the situation and the person repented and uh, amended his ways, which, praise God, that doesn't always happen when a church exercises discipline, does it? Sometimes people uh, become bitter and angry. But in this case, the church exercised the necessary discipline to get this person to come to grips with the reality of the seriousness of this matter. They responded uh, under Paul's direction. They responded biblically to the situation. And, uh, and then in, in chapter 2... See if I can lay my eyes on here. Yes, chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, and I'm, again, we're just breaking in the context. Can't read quite everything uh, that uh, pertains to it. But 
He says, sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. So the church had taken issue, had taken a correct uh, approach to it after Paul admonished them. And they dealt with the man who was in the sin. The individuals, individual or individuals that were involved, particularly in this case, it's highlighting the, 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 the gentleman, I believe. And uh, they dealt with it. And then it says in verse 7, he says, so that country, okay, let me read verse 6 again. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. Uh, The job was done. It accomplished what it was intended to accomplish. Uh, The, it was, yeah. And so that country wise, ye ought to forgive him and comfort him lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. And there we have uh, the uh, Paul coming into the church again. Now they had responded rightly in dealing with the situation, but now they were still holding him at arm's length after he had repented and gotten right. And now Paul comes along and, and... uh, exhorts them, teaches them how to respond at this leg of the journey, at this stage of things, and uh, gives them some clear guidance in how to do that. Uh, that they would uh, forgive him and comfort him, and that they would confirm their love toward him. And down in verse 11, he says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Um, And that is true. You know, Satan, it doesn't matter what leg of the journey anyone is in and and what stage of of working through a problem you are at in your life or, or as a church or anything, anywhere, anytime, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. He's ready to jump in at any stage of the journey, at any place, at any time, in anyone's life. That's him. He's willing, very willing. And we have to walk with carefulness uh, because we understand him. We, we understand. We're not ignorant of his devices. Um, so Paul guides the church through that situation. He's giving oversight to the church. So taking oversight, shepherding and guiding the church and the individuals in the congregation in living out in real, living out in real everyday life, New Testament doctrine. That didn't sound quite right. Anyway, shepherding and guiding the church and the individuals in the congregation is helping them live out. In everyday life, live out New Testament truth in everyday life, everyday life situations. That's shepherding. That's taking oversight. That's guiding. Okay. Um, The responsibility of an elder. We have another responsibility that kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it comes right down on the elder with a punch. And that's found in 1 
Timothy 5.21. Now Paul has given quite a lot of instruction to Timothy already in this book. And then he says, uh, well, let, let me, uh, no, verse 21, he says, Then I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things. And uh, it could be that he was referring to just some of the previous verses, few verses. Uh, there is discussion there on how to... Uh, how to handle accusations against an elder, but I'm going to say that I'm going to say that he's probably referring to even more than that. He may be referring to quite a lot of what he taught in First Timothy so far, what he's been teaching Timothy. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things, these things that we've laid out for the New Testament church. Thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. So, uh, he's exhorting Timothy as he, as he exercises himself in the calling and in the office of an elder that he has a responsibility to be very careful that he does not administrate with partiality. Now, partiality could be shown on various levels. Partiality could be based on friendships. You know, I'm closer to this person than to that person. And so there's that temptation to be partial and to show favor. It could be based on friendships. Partiality could be based on status. You know, how important one might feel the person is or, or whatever. It could be based on gifting, a person's gifting. Uh, partiality could be based on personality. Or it could be based on wealth. The Bible talks about that in James. Uh, being partial toward people that are uh, well-dressed as opposed to be people that are Come in ragged clothes, you know. Uh, partial, partiality. An exhortation to uh, an elder. His responsibility is to minister, to give oversight, to give reproof, to give direction, to give counsel, to give exhortation, to give it without partiality. You know, Issues in the church involve people, right? Have you ever had an issue in the church that did not involve people? Have you ever had an issue in life that didn't involve at least one person, yourself? Where the roof leaked, leaked, that was an issue. Yeah, that is an issue that doesn't necessarily involve a person. Good idea, brother. Maybe I need to add something to this. (laughs) Unless somebody just put a new roof on your house. (laughs) Then you have an issue that involves people, right? 
Call Brother Dan. He'll take care of it. Yes. Issues involve people. Elders have a responsibility to evaluate situations from all perspectives and to speak into the situation on the basis of biblical truth and to not have respect of persons in doing it. That's the charge that Paul gives Timothy, to not have respect of persons when doing it, when, when exhorting, when encouraging, when, when laying responsibility at the feet of involved parties. To not have respect of persons. And that is, that is, uh, you can be sure that's, that's an area where an elder can be tested. But we must, we must put our hearts up to that. And, uh, it's the, the responsibility of an elder to care for all involved, to speak into the situation from all perspectives. Ministering needs to take place on the basis of truth. So a situation is at hand. Ministering needs to take place on the basis of truth. Endeavoring to discern, to understand what the problem is. Endeavoring to discern and understand what... um, uh, scriptural uh, truth has been violated, whether not understood and violated, whether understood and intentionally violated, you know, just various different ways to consider it, understanding what has been violated, and then to speak into, the, into that situation on the basis of biblical truth Let me finish my statement here. Ministering needs to take place on the basis of truth, not on the basis of the outcome. And that is a challenge. But if a person will, if an elder will take seriously the call to not show... um, Partiality, he'll take that serious, then his focus will be truth in the situation, and he'll focus, he'll, he'll respond, he will speak, he will endeavor to uh, address the situation from the premise of truth, not from the premise of the outcome. Because the outcome is not necessarily his responsibility, the truth is. He is responsible to endeavor to understand and to speak truth in the matter. The outcome is not his responsibility. That is left to the Lord. So ministering without partiality, indeed a challenge. That uh, is a, it's a great challenge. <clears throat> So what if speaking the truth in love
puts some close friendships in jeopardy. <laughs> and that's real. That is real. But that's the call. That's the, that's the responsibility of an elder. To be willing to stand by the truth irregardless of the outcome. And again, there's where it is a blessing to have more than one elder. And it's a blessing to have connections with other elders in churches because we're not perfect. We don't always discern everything correctly. And when you have others who can speak into the situation, others who can uh, help discern, they see things that we don't always see. We see things they don't always see. And you have you have uh, a safeguard there in in uh, in administering or ministering correctly and being uh, yeah <clears throat> all right we have looked at the elder's responsibility of feeding the flock his responsibility of laboring in the word and doctrine, his responsibility of taking oversight, his responsibility of ministering without partiality. I'd like to close yet with another area of responsibility. I might say last but not least. Uh, but it says, and Peter says it in uh, 1 Peter 5.3, Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Uh, elders are called to be examples to the flock. Uh, Timothy, uh, Paul says it to Timothy this way in 1 Timothy 4.12. And we're, if you're in Timothy in your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, he exhorts Timothy, Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Uh, be thou an example. Uh, we are called as, as elders. An elder is called to be an example. Uh, in Second Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy. He says in, in, um, Chapter 2 and verse 6, and I'm just going to take this verse right out of its context here. Uh, there would be more that could be read, but he says, The husbandman must, the husbandman that laboreth must first be partaker of the fruits. Now that can maybe be a little bit, uh, one of those verses that are maybe a little hard to understand in the, in the way it's translated there. But, uh, and in fact, my center column states it this way, the husbandman, the husbandman laboring first must be partaker of the fruits. And I, I'm not sure what order it should all be. But I, I see it this way. Uh, we are the first in line of responsibility. You know, when it comes to uh, demonstrating and living out what is believed here. You know, about every area of life. We are the first in line of responsibility. We must first live it out and, 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 and demonstrate it to you as a people. Uh, we are the first in the line of responsibility. We are to be examples in 
all these things uh, of the Christian life and living out and walking out uh, Bible uh, truth in everyday living, uh, we are the ones who must first be an example. <clears throat> be examples to the flock. Second Timothy 4. Verses 1 to 5. And again, just kind of in summing things up here, reflecting on some of the things that Paul has to say to, to Timothy. He says to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. With all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. A charge to an elder. And then I'm going to just close with Peter's words in chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Uh, kind of his concluding statement to the elders as he gives them responsibility and a charge. And then he reminds them, Peter does, that when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And I don't know exactly what that might be like, but basically what he's saying, if you are faithful in the responsibility, in the calling, if you are faithful, there is a, a crown awaiting, a, a reward awaiting. And uh, we leave that to the Lord. Um, so, the responsibility of an elder. It's not a little thing, is it? And yet, you know, from my standpoint, we're not alone. The Lord has not left us. The Lord has not called us to something like this and then stood back and kind of watched us flounder and struggle, and uh, he hasn't. He is a very close, present help. And uh, he gives, where he gives responsibility, he gives grace, he gives strength, he gives courage. Of course, there is our side of staying close to him, staying uh, connected with him, keeping our hearts clear and open with him, but God is faithful. <clears throat> if you're able, perhaps we could kneel together and conclude with prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come in Jesus' name again at the close of this service, our message here. As we have contemplated 
the responsibility of an elder this morning. We have endeavored to understand it as you give it in the word. And uh, Father, I pray, I realize there's probably many more scriptures, many more examples, many more things could have been said. But Father, I do believe that uh, uh, the responsibility as it's given and as we've endeavored to open it up is is your call. It's uh, your plan. It's your design. And I pray, I pray for for elders all over this world and particularly, especially those who are walking with you faithfully, those who are serving you and uh, walking obediently and uh, striving to teach uh, the, the truth and uh, contending for the truth. I pray you would bless them in that call and that responsibility and that you would fill them with your spirit for that work. And thank you for that. Thank you for this congregation. I pray your blessing on us here. Continue to guide us as we live in a real world with real life situations. Grant us wisdom and grace to ever come back to the word of God and and search the scriptures and and understand the truth of the word in real everyday life circumstances. Bless us to that end, Father. Help us to continue to be faithful in our calling. And Father, as we also looked at the call of a deacon, the responsibility of a deacon several weeks ago, we do continue to pray that you would bless us with deacons sometime here in the future, Lord, as we have need of that. And so, Father, again, commit our hearts, our lives to you. Bless us and keep us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.